sermon that I anticipate it shouldn't take more than about 45, 50 minutes. <laughs> um, three very important things. Don't the flowers look amazing? I just saw Jim and Margaret walk in with boxes and boxes and boxes of flowers. Ask her uh, all about what's happening. And third thing, wasn't the drumming fantastic this morning? I know I'm biased, but woo. <laughs> Kept the beat, exactly. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you care for us. Please help us to understand who you are. Thank you that you are the God who cares. But help us to not also forget that you are the God who is God. Speak to us now, I pray. Use even my lips. Amen. Um, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. It's going to be on the screen as well to Exodus uh, chapter 19, <coughs> verse 9. Remember last week, we looked at the first little bit of chapter 19 where they arrive at Mount Sinai, Moses uh, goes up to the mountain, um, and God basically turns around to him and says, go and tell all the people who I am, what I've done, how I brought you here, what you are going to be. You're going to be my kingdom of priests. And so Moses goes down and says, this is what God says, um, Will you obey the covenant? And the people go, absolutely will obey God's covenant before they've actually really heard it. And so now in chapter 9, the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me talk with you when I speak with you, and then they will always trust you, Moses. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said, and then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival consecrate them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. Don't you love a good news story? Um, no hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people and he consecrated them uh, for worship. And they washed their clothes and he told them, get ready for the third day and until then abstain from having sexual intercourse. And on the morning of the third day, <coughs> thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn and all the people trembled and Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain 
And all of Mount Sinai was, was covered with smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently. And as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And so Moses climbed the mountain. And then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the mountain, set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them what the Lord had said. You could really label chapter 19 the chapter of going up and down the mountain. Poor old Moses went up and down about 43 times. Well, not quite. He went up about five or six times. What do we got here? We have right at the beginning, chapter 19, verse 9, God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to appear to you. You know that I'm speaking to you. It's really important that, that as the mediator between myself and my people, that the people trust you. They need to know that you're not just making it up, Moses. They need to know that you and I have this thing going. They, they need to know that when you speak, you're speaking on my behalf. And, and so I'm going to appear to the whole nation of Israel. They're going to see something of my glory. And as they see something of my glory and they see me speaking with you and you speaking with me, they're going to trust you, Moses. Hopefully they'll trust God a bit as well. But, but this is as they fearfully see the presence of God, it's to inspire them to listen to what he says through his servant Moses. But what I found really interesting about this is that even though God says, I will appear to the whole nation of Israel, my glory will appear. Um, just by the way, it's not the person of God appearing, it's the presence of God's glory that appears. And even though the presence of God's glory is going to appear to them, it's not just going to happen now. It's, he doesn't say, Moses, go down to the bottom of the mountain, tell the people to get ready, because in about an hour's time, uh, as soon as you gather them all together, I'll be there. No, he says to Moses, Moses, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arrive. God, the Holy One, the one in whom there is no wrong, the one who is perfect, I'm going to appear my presence in front of you. And if you want to survive my presence, Incidentally, appearing in thick cloud, maybe to shroud something of the absolute glory of God. He says, if you want to survive, Moses, you get down that mountain post-haste, and, and today and tomorrow, because on the third day I'm going to appear, today and tomorrow you are going to make those people ready. Consecrate them. Set them apart. Make them holy, if you can, so that when I come, they will be ready for me. What the consecration actually involves is pretty unclear. Um, we are told that it involves 
uh, washing their clothes, probably, you know, symbolism to say, you know what, washing off the dirt, coming to God uh, clean. Um, it, it's about them being set apart. That's what consecrated means. It means setting them apart. And Moses seems to add an extra one in verse 15. God doesn't mention anything about not having sex. Um, Moses, he must have mentioned it because Moses goes, and by the way, don't have sex. Not that that's wrong and makes you unholy. Um, after all, God invented it before the fall. But maybe so that our full attention or their full attention was not on another person but on God. Uh, Calvin said that they were to be reminded that all earthly cares were as much as possible to be renounced, that they might give their entire attention to the hearing of the Lord. So we don't exactly know, apart from not having sex and washing your clothes, we don't exactly know what they did. But the point isn't to know what they did, because if the Bible wrote down consecration involves steps 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, then wouldn't it be tempting for us to go, right, before we come to church, we've got to do steps 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's not what we're on about here. This isn't about a list of, of how to be right before God comes. This is just, um, I think the point of this passage is, is to show that, that the Israelites simply couldn't come to God exactly as they were. I mean, they were going to do something that no other nation had ever done before. They were going to meet with God. They were going to hear the voice of the living one. And something had to happen before they could stand in His presence. And, and it's, it's quite interesting. The God who has delivered them from slavery now holds them at arm's length. Says to Moses, put up these boundaries around the mountain. You've got two days to get ready, and, and if anyone touches that mountain, if anything touches that mountain, that thing must be killed. Why? Well, because that's where God is going to be, and so that is that is holy. Where God is is holy. God makes it holy. And for anything which isn't perfect to be there is it's just an abomination for the imperfect to stand in the presence of the perfect. And so God says, kill it. And don't even, don't even, this is how, we have the idea that, that if we add dirt to something, it makes it dirty. We think that dirtiness is more contagious than and so if I'm eating my bowl of porridge and a fly drops into it, I'll throw out the bowl of porridge because a fly dropped in my bowl of porridge. But the Bible's idea is, is quite different. The Bible says that so holy is God that if something touches it, it becomes holy. And, and it can't become holy, so it must die. But there's, there's, there's a holiness about it. And, and look what he says there. He says, if somebody goes and steps over the boundary of the mountain, Okay, kill the person, but don't touch them because then you're. It's like holiness is infectious. And you're not holy, and so you must die. God says, if you're not holy, you must die. If you're not perfect, you cannot stand in my presence. 
What's the point of all this? God is God. And he required the Israelites to get ready to meet him. They, they couldn't just wander in. Be like wandering into Kirribilli House. G'day, Kev, or Abbott, or whoever your name is today. How you going? Actually, in Australia, you might be able to do that. But you can't wander into the White House. <laughs> you get shot. You can't just wander into God's presence. We, we are human. We're, we, he is perfectly holy. If we want to know God, we have to know him on his terms. Isn't this the amazing thing? God, God says, my holiness is so great that if anyone steps where I'm going to be, they're going to have to die, and yet I want to have a relationship with them. Isn't that incredible? And this was the Hebrews, but it's true for us as well that, that if we are to stand in the presence of God, we need to be holy. We need to be consecrated. We need to be set apart. We can't just wander willy-nilly into the presence of God. And it's quite telling that I think this is one of those wonderful cases of, of the Old Testament preempting the new because our consecration took three days as well. And on the third day, we were proved clean because God united us with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And then the difference between us and them is that we are no longer kept at a distance because our consecration, what Jesus has done for us, making us holy, is of a totally different sort to what Moses did. God said, make them holy, Moses, and make sure they don't come near me. God said to us, God said, I have made you holy in Jesus. So, verses 16 to 19, uh, Moses has done the job. He's consecrated the people. They're ready to meet with God. They've spent months in the desert. They're about to come face to face with the author of their salvation. And what do they do? The, the clouds come down. The mountain's shaking. What happens to the people? Well, they say, ah! They're terrified. They see the whole of creation reacting to the presence of God. And there's this blast of this trumpet, this, this ram's horn. And I don't know if you can imagine it. Um, I, I don't know if you can imagine it at all. It's just kind of like, um, bear with me one second. Uh, let's go something like this. And 
it's not just a little bit because Moses has to climb up the mountain a little way. And as he's climbing, it just gets louder and louder and louder. I, mean, I can't shout any louder. But can you imagine how terrified you'd be? Because it's not some bloke in the corner going, ah. This is a, a ram's horn a sounding from somewhere. It's, it's, it's a heavenly sound. The, the, the blowing of the horn is the, the, the sign of the coming of God. That's why in the New Testament we're told that when Jesus comes, he'll be with the trumpet sound. Terrifying. Terrifyingly loud. And they step closer to the mountain. It's covered with smoke. And as the climax, they see Moses speaking and God thundering his reply. Um, I don't think God, I don't think they heard thunder and said, ah, that's God speaking. They, they heard God speaking in a big voice. had to be a big voice because the trumpet was so loud. They trembled. See, that's again the difference between us and them. They came to God's presence and everything was shaking. They were petrified. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Um, Just turn there with me, uh, if you would, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and and a whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. They heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, you, me, you, us, we have come to Mount Sinai, to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. See there? Now been made perfect. Not half consecrated like they were at Sinai. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So we do not fear because we have been given access directly to God. Now, one of the things which I find really interesting about this incident in Mount Sinai is that God says, get them ready. Moses gets them ready. The trumpet blast sounds. God talks, says, Moses, come on up the mountain. Moses comes up the mountain. As soon as he gets up the top, God says, right, back down again. Make sure the people don't come any closer. And Moses, for his part, is, is understandably, he 
terrible chatting with God. God says, go back down. He goes, oh, God, I've already told them. It's like, God, you already told us exactly that. And God has to be a bit stern with Moses and Moses. Back down the mountain. Don't let the people break free. Three times, God has to give that warning. Two of them, after the people have been set apart and made holy. And I think it's because God knows how prone we people are to rebellion. I mean, they just spent three days getting ready. Or two days getting ready, and on the third day, God appears. And they could very easily have been sitting there going, well, you know what, I've washed my clothes, I've done all the right things, I've ticked all the right boxes. I'm feeling pretty holy right now. In fact, I'm feeling so holy. That barriers for the unholy people. Hey, God... See what I did, I consecrated myself. That's what God says to Moses. He says, Moses, get back down there because those people, warn them again. I think it's, it's so easy for us to think that if we prepare enough, and if we're good enough, and if we're holy enough, and if we are so much better than, well, my neighbor next door, he b didn't bark last night. And I barked three times. So, wow, look at me. I'm clean. God knows how easily we become puffed up and self-righteous and think how holy we are and how good we are. And God says to Moses, well, Moses, you've got to let the people know that no amount of human self-preparation is ever going to make you good enough to stand in my presence. He speaks about the priests, and it's interesting because there are no official priests yet, but he says, uh, probably unofficial priests, he says, Moses, even the guys who are the priests who are supposed to spend their time coming with me, go to them. Especially them, maybe, because they're the ones who think, well, I've got it right. I'm the holy one of the family. To say to them, actually, no, God, God, you. Barrier. Don't cross. And so God's warning them about casually rushing into the divine presence. Forgetting who we really are. Dealing with a holy God. And no amount of you and I trying to be better people makes us have the right to stand in God's presence. No amount. No amount of us making sure I do the right things gives me the right to stand in the presence of God. In fact, for the unrighteous to stand in the presence of God means death. 
Let's go to Exodus 19 first. Lucy told us a story about that guy who said, I, I didn't cheat on the exam because it would be dishonoring to God. Still doesn't give that person the right to walk into God's presence and go, a few other people cheated, I didn't. Hey, guys. now. We, we can wander in and out of God's presence as we want. Yes. No. We can't just treat God as he is, forgetting that it's not about me. We can not a casual thing. We can come only by the grace of God, and that grace is so spacious. It cost Jesus his life. The sprinkling, as Hebrews said, of the precious blood, which speaks of forgiveness. That's the only way that we can walk into the presence of God. And at no point, I think if one, if we are warned of one thing in Exodus 19, it is we are warned of his doom on God. But as Hebrews tells us one thing, it encourages us, encourages us to presume on the grace of God. You see the difference there? One walks in presuming on God to think that I'm good enough, that I think I'm good enough. One walks in saying, um, I need grace. And because of that grace, I'm daring to walk in. One walks in like this, swaggers in. The other walks in, head bowed. Big smile on the face, but head bowed. You know, in, in Hebrews 19 at Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, bring the people up, Moses. I want to I speak with them. I want to speak with you, and I want them to hear. I want them to approach me. Here's how it's going to happen. Coming to God always happens in God's presence. Coming to God still happens. Those terms come down to, to a, a simple verse. Everyone who confesses with their mouth, or who believes with their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, will be saved. Amen.
know whom I have believed. That's good. He's chosen us. Oh, have to turn the horn off. <laughs> turn off the shofar. Come down the mountain. Some soup and ice cream. 